we're so grateful for, for all you've done for us and, Lord, how you've saved us out of this world, Lord. And when you saved us out of this world, Lord, you changed our citizenship. No longer are we citizens of this world, Lord. We're, we're citizens of heaven. And so, Lord, we should be living our lives as strangers in a foreign land, as pilgrims on a journey through uh, this life on earth. But, Lord, it's so hard to do. It's so easy to, to settle down in this world and, and make this world our home. And, and Lord, what we want to see today is we, we look at how you worked in uh, Jacob's life and Joseph's life. Lord, we want to see today how you're going to take charge of our lives in a way that, Lord, uh, if, we're, if we're squatters in this world, you're going to change that mindset. And, and, Lord, I know you do that for all of us. I know you're doing it in my life now. And, Lord, uh, uh, the only people you don't do it for are the people that are, that are citizens of this world, Lord. But the, what a bad place to be uh, in the end, Lord. Uh, we all want to be citizens of heaven. If there's anyone here today, Lord, as we, as we go through this passage who's encamped in this world and sees their lives totally in this world, Lord, I ask today be the day that you just wake them up and and uh, give them a desire for a for a new land, for a new hope, for a new future, Lord, the future we have in Jesus Christ. So, so Lord, I just ask you to to again bless our study today, as only you can do by the power of your Holy Spirit, uh, Lord. We ask you to bless us today as we take the Lord's Supper, and Lord, may we may we honor you with our attitude, uh, Lord. And again, just 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 work on our mindsets, Lord, to, to be people who seek after you. We just ask that you do that by, the, by your power. We ask that in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. I think one of the most important precepts in the Bible, you could call it a, a suggestion, but really it's a command. John gives it over in uh, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, when he says, Do not love the world are the things of the world. Uh, And he goes on to say, if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. So if you're able to love this world and settle down in this world, then more than likely you're not a born-again believer. If you can die like that, you're certainly not a born-again believer. Now, when we talk about the world, what, what was John talking about? He wasn't talking about the world that God made. He's talking about the world that man has made, what man has made of this world, this world system in which we live. I mean, there's some beautiful things on this earth that God has given us. Uh, He's given us life and breath and all sorts of wonderful things that are all to be enjoyed in life. But, But when we encamp and find ourselves uh, loving this world as it is, there's something wrong with us spiritually. And, that's, and, 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 and to not love the world is easier said than done, especially as Americans. I mean, because Americans, we lead pretty good lives. You know, compared to the rest of the world, you can see how somebody living down in the, in the boonies in Mexico, you know, in, in, in poverty might hate this world. But in America, we have a lot of luxuries, a lot of good things in our life. And, and so, so uh, to say do not love the world can be pretty difficult at times because I think a lot of us really do love the world and a lot of us settle down in this world. And uh, it's as if we say this world is all we're going to get. We become like Epicureans and we live life, uh, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. And, and I, you, everybody needs to examine their life and, and, and question, I mean, have you really settled in this world? I mean, is, or, or do you see yourself as a stranger in this world? Well, let me say this. If you're a child of God, you might not yet see yourself as a stranger in this world. But I promise you, before your life is over, you're going you're gonna to long for your heavenly home. And I think the more and more this world uh, becomes immoral and wicked, uh, and it's and doing that exponentially right now, the more and more we see ourselves as pilgrims and strangers and long for a heavenly home. Well, Jacob, this guy who's the main character 
in our study, uh, our recent uh, group of studies, uh, I think he was a man who saw this world as his home. Uh, now, he, when he was in Haran and, and he was under Uncle Laban, I mean, he didn't see that in his home, as his home. But he wanted to get back to Hebron. He wanted to get back to his father. He wanted to get back to his homeland because he saw that promised land as his home. But that really wasn't the promised land that he should have been yearning for. He should have been yearning for the heavenly promised land, the city of God, Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem. That's the city we should all long for. And so he didn't see himself, once he gets back to Hebron here, and we're going to see this in today's study, he didn't see himself as a pilgrim and a stranger any, any, any longer. He saw himself as a permanent resident of this world. But God's going to change that. Now, he started changing that when he lost his wife. We saw that in the last study. He lost his beloved wife, Rachel. Well, in the future studies that we're going to go through in the coming weeks, he's going to think he's lost his son, Joseph. And so life is going to get really, on this earth, is going to get really bitter for, for Jacob, just like it does for a lot of us as we, we, as we go through the years. And, and, uh, and, 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 and when that happens, we begin to see ourselves more as pilgrims and strangers rather than squatters in this land. Well, last week when we left off, we, we left off, we looked at chapter 36. Uh, Brandon was here, so I didn't read all the names, and he came back. If he had, hadn't come back today, I probably would have read the names, but I'm not going to sit here and let him critique me as I read these names. But seriously, somebody asked me last week, I never skipped passages, why did you skip this? Well, this is the genealogy of Esau. Esau is a very important person, don't get me wrong, he is the son of Isaac. He's the grandson of Abraham. So he's a very important character in the Bible. But he is a godless man. And, and his line is about to end. I mean, we see from, we saw in our, when we looked at chapter 36, a little bit that we looked at, we saw that he was the father of the Amalekites and he was the father of the Edomites, which became the arch enemies of Israel. So, so there is that importance in the genealogy. But the rest of these names, they're going off the, you know, by the time Christ comes to this earth, there's no such thing as an Edomite anymore. There's no such thing as a Malachite anymore. And so they're really not important to us. What's important to us is the genealogy that continues, and that's what we begin to see in chapter 37. We get this marker here in verse number 2. It says, this is the history of Jacob. The first part, that is the Toledoth. We see that word Toledoth over and over again in the Old Testament because that marks a new study. This is the history of Jacob. Well, we've already looked at Jacob. So now we're going to look at Jacob's sons, Joseph, his son Joseph and his other sons uh, who made up the tribes of Israel. So we're going to go on, but we're getting the, really it's the same word when it says this is the genealogy of, of Esau in chapter 36. It's in verse chapter 37, it says this is the genealogy of Jacob. But we don't get a list of names here. We get something different. We get, we get a story about the list of names. And that's what the rest of the Bible is. For all of those people who are part of the genealogy of Christ, their story goes on. Esau's story ends, and so it's treated totally different. So, so what we see now, we see a, we, we're going to see actually uh, some details about the, the life of Jacob and the trouble that Jacob, I mean, Joseph and the trouble that Joseph went through. And he went through a lot of trouble. Now, why does that line continue on? That line continues on because that uh, Jacob's descendants become Israel. And from Israel comes the Davidic kingdom. And from the Davidic kingdom comes the Messiah. And so that's why it's so important that we get the line of Jacob and, and the line of Esau ends for us. Uh, so it's really, the most important part of it is that this is the genealogy of Christ. This is the story of the people, the history of the people from which Christ came from, he descended from. And so they're very important people. And it's really apropos at this point, that when we come to chapter 37, that we get the story of Joseph, where he's in the messianic line, and he is a type 
of the Messiah. He is, it's an, he's an amazing type of the Messiah when you look at the details of his life and you compare it to the details of Jesus' life. It's an amazing the number of parallels that you see. Now, let me just give you a few of those parallels. In Genesis 37.3, we're told that Joseph was the most beloved son of his father. Well, in Matthew chapter 3, we're told that by, that the father, by the father that this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So we get that tie. Then in Genesis 37.8, we see that Joseph's brothers rejected uh, his authority over them. And in Luke 19, remember what the Jews, the brothers of Jesus said, we will not have this man rule over us. So they rejected his authority. In Genesis 37, verse 23, the brothers conspire against Joseph and they strip him of his garments. In Matthew chapter 27 and elsewhere in the, in the Gospels, the Jews took counsel against Jesus and before he was crucified, they stripped him of his garments. In Genesis 37, verse Verse 28, Joseph was sold for silver. In Matthew 26, Jesus was sold for silver. In Genesis 39, Joseph was tempted and did not sin. In Hebrews chapter 4, we're told that Jesus was tempted in all things and yet was without sin. In Genesis 42, 6, Joseph's brothers bowed to him. In Philippians chapter 2, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. In Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, we're told that God planned the suffering of Joseph to save many. In, 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 when Peter was at Pentecost, speaking at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, he said that Jesus was delivered to the cross by the predetermined purpose and foreknowledge of God to save many. That's it's that same purpose. In Genesis 45, we're told that Joseph was made ruler over all of Egypt, really a which was a world empire at the time. In Matthew 28, Jesus says that all power in heaven and earth has been given to me. In Genesis 42, uh, Joseph's brothers were ashamed for what they had done uh, to him. And when Jesus returns to this earth, we're told in Zechariah chapter 11 that the Jews will, they will be ashamed that they will look on him whom they pierced and they will mourn as a mother mourns for the loss of her firstborn child. So, so and, and, and the, there's several other of these that you can go through, and maybe a little, you, you want to be a little more nitpicky, but Joseph is certainly a type of Jesus Christ. And, and types are important in the Bible. Types are important in the Bible, and genealogies are important in the Bible, and that's really what we get when we get to chapter 37. We get the genealogy of Jacob, in, and we get the type that's given to us through Joseph. And we see that in David is a type and other people who are types. And we see geneal- all these genealogies that lead us uh, to, to, uh, to Jesus Christ. Types are important. Genealogies are important. But, but God just doesn't give us a list of types in the Bible. He doesn't just give us a list of names that are genealogy. What he does, he gives us a story about these people. Because these people, like us, are the children of God. And so there are life lessons for us that we can learn from these people. Because they're heading in the same direction that we're heading as we read their story. They're pilgrims on the way to heaven. And and we're pilgrims on the way to heaven. Even though... Jacob didn't see himself as a pilgrim on the way to heaven as we come to chapter 37. I promise you before we finish this thing, when we get to Genesis 50, he is going to see himself as a stranger in a foreign land, as a pilgrim on the way to heaven. So with that introduction, go with me to chapter number 37 and look down at verse 1. And you see the problem right away here as you look at verse number 1, the problem with Jacob. And this is the last word we get about Jacob for a while. But, but look at, look at what, what it says in verse number one. Now Jacob dwelt in the land. He settled. That word, Hebrew word means to settle down in the land. And look at the contrast when you look at verse number one. Now Jacob settled down in the land where his father was a stranger. Where his grandfather before him was a stranger. Abraham and Isaac saw the promised land not as the ultimate promised land. They saw it as a land in Palestine, a a rocky desert 
arid land that maybe they could do something with, but it wasn't their ultimate goal. I mean, go with me a minute to the book of Hebrews and listen to what the author of Hebrews says about Abraham over in Hebrews chapter number 9. Keep your place there and go to Hebrews chapter number 9. And actually, I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter number 11. And go down to verse number 9. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 9. Listen to what it says. It says, by faith, and this is speaking of Abraham here. By faith, Abraham dwelt. But now this Greek word dwelt doesn't mean to settle down. It just means to encamp. By faith, Abraham dwelt in the land of promise. And how did he dwell there? Not like Jacob. He dwelt there as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents. I mean, he wasn't settling down at all. With Isaac and Jacob in his loins, they weren't born yet. The heirs with him of the same purpose. Eventually, Isaac, Isaac became a, saw himself as a pilgrim, and eventually we're going to see Jacob see himself as a pilgrim, and eventually we're going to see his son Joseph see himself as a pilgrim too. All of those sons are going to see themselves as pilgrim. For Abraham waited for a city which has foundations whose builder and maker is God. What did Abraham long for? Not for Hebron. He longed for the heavenly Jerusalem, for Zion, the heavenly Zion, the new Jerusalem that's going to come down from heaven and sit there in that promised land. But, and then jump down to verse number 13. These all died. And when he says these all, he's talking about Sarah, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They all died. When they died, they died in faith, longing for something other than this, this, this earth. Not having received the promises, but having seen them from afar off, they were assured of them. They embraced them and confessed that they were strangers. Even when they were in Hebron, they were strangers and pilgrims on this earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. They sought a homeland other than Palestine. You and I need to be seeking a homeland other than the United States of America. Our hearts need to be somewhere else. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they don't care about that country. But now, let me tell you what, as we're reading this right now, as, as the author of Hebrews was writing this, they didn't care anymore about Palestine. I mean, they cared about it, but not, that wasn't their desire. Their desire was for something far better. That is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them, a heavenly city for them. Zion, the new Jerusalem. Now, here in chapter 37 of Genesis, Jacob isn't there yet. He's not there yet. Here he is, and he's dwelling in the land, and he saw himself as a citizen of Palestine, as a citizen of, of uh, uh, Hebron. He, he didn't see himself as a stranger and a pilgrim in the land. But here's what's going to happen. Uh, the older he's going to get, the more trouble he's going to have. And the more troubles he has, the more trials he faces, the more he sees this world as it really is. You know, if I look back on the way I saw the world 20 years ago and the way I see the world now, it has totally changed. I mean, when I was 50 years old, I mean, there was just so much hope in my mind for this world. And, I, you know, I, I, I call my, I was a Christian then, and I... You know, I, 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 I would call myself a pilgrim and stranger, but really I was a squatter. I really liked what I had, liked what I was doing. I liked my hope in this land, but I don't see my hope anymore here. I mean, I, I have hopes and dreams for my life, the rest of my life here, but that's not my main hope and my main dream. Things change, and let me tell you what changes them. Your, your trials and tribulations change things. And, 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 and the older you get the more you see this world for what it is, that it is fallen, that it is evil, that it is corrupt. And the more you see for it for what it is and the more you see heaven for what it is, the more you long for heaven and the less you long for this earth. Now, 
as we come to chapter 37, we're going to follow, begin, we're going to introduce this plight of Joseph, this trouble that Joseph is going to have. And this trouble that Joseph is going to have is going to really do a lot of harm to Jacob. And it's going to do, go a long ways to make a Jacob long for a new land too. Because he's going to see this world for, within his own house for what it is. Just how evil and wicked men and women are without Jesus Christ. Without faith in God. And it's going to change him. So <laughs> let's go back to 37 and pick up in verse number 3. Now here we go. We're getting into the story of... Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, but let's go to verse number 2. We're getting, we're getting into the story now of... of uh, Jake of Joseph. This is the history of Jacob. Again, we don't, this is the Taladoth. This is the genealogy of Jacob, but we don't get a list of genealogy. What we get is a story because this, this genealogy is going to continue on forever. Here's the story. Joseph being seven, only 17 years old was feeding the flock. Now that's a bad translation. That literal, the literal translation there is Joseph was the chief shepherd, the chief steward over all his father's stuff. He, he was the one in charge of all his father's stuff. Now, he had some brothers at this point that were much older than he was. Uh, he, had, he had the sons of Leah. If you look back at the sons of Leah back in chapter 35 uh, in verse number uh, 22, I believe it is, uh, the sons of Leah were Simeon and Levi and Judah and Issachar and Zebulun. These were the older sons. And you would think that one of those sons would have been put in charge of all of Jacob's goods. But he put his 17-year-old son in charge of all his goods. Now, why did he do that? Well, we're told why. Because he loved, uh, we're going to be told in the next verse, he loved uh, Joseph more than he loved his other children. And he loved Joseph more than his other children, more than likely because he, was, he had messed up with his other sons. That's one of the reasons. But he also loved Rachel more than he loved Leah, at least up until now he did. And so, so uh, 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 he puts Joseph in charge of everything. And you've got to think, what does that do to these older sons? I mean, what does that say to them? It says that he loves Joseph more than he loves me. And so obviously that's going to, you know, breed some dissension among these brothers. And so he was 17 years old. He's in charge of everything, and he has authority over his brothers. And he and the lad was with the sons of Billah and the sons of Zilpah. Now you can see why he was hanging out with the sons of Billah and the sons of Zilpah. They were younger sons. And so he hung out with them instead of ha- hanging out with Levi and Simeon and Judah and all of those guys. He hung out with the sons of Zilpah and the sons of Billah. And they probably had a little bit of uh, disdain for their older brothers too because their probably older brothers treated them as, as stepchildren, you know. And so, so, so they probably, you know, were more likely to be buddies with Joseph. So he hung out with them. Uh, and, and Joseph brought a bad report of all to his, all of them to his father. So what was happening was, here was these older brothers, and they were in all sorts of trouble all the time. I mean, one of the things we saw last week, we saw that Reuben went in and had sexual relationships with Billa. Now, I wonder who told jo- Jacob about that. More than likely, it was Joseph, and he heard it from, from the sons of Billa and the sons of Zilpah. So what was happening, uh, he was hanging out with the sons of Billa and the sons of Zilpah, and uh, he, he, they were informing him about all the bad things the older brothers were doing, and then Joseph was going and tattling on them to his dad. Now, now did that help matters in their relationship? Certainly not. So, so, so they hate Joseph at this point. And it's clear, look at verse number 3. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. And he put him in charge of everything that he had. And, and not only did he do that, he wanted it to be blatant, to, uh, to advertise it blatantly to all the brothers. And so he made him a tunic of many colors. Now, we don't know exactly what that tunic looked like. Uh, if you ever 
uh, have been in Sunday school or as a little child and you've seen pictures of that tunic, but we don't know exactly what it lo- looked like. But we do know this, that it was symbolic of his authority, his authority over his brothers. And so here is Jacob, and he loves his son Joseph more than he loves his older sons. And that's really sad. It's really sad. It's bad parenting, and it's going to cause him and his sons and Joseph, especially Joseph, a lot of problems. This is going to come back and bite Jacob because those sons, we know what's going to happen. They're going to, they're going to want to kill him, but they end up selling him off into slavery, and Jacob is going to lose his son. And he's going to be hurt very deeply because of this. And really, in some way, it was his own fault for showing favoritism to, to Joseph. And so, uh, go to the next verse, verse number four. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. They couldn't stand him. Uh, they didn't respect his authority. They couldn't even have a conversation with him without going into a rage. And you would think it's pretty bad now. Well, it's going to get even worse because God's going to step in. And God's going to give Joseph two dreams about his authority over his brothers. And we know those dreams come from God because we know the rest of the story. We know those dreams come true. And and so we know that those dreams are given to him by God. And, and, And we'll explore why here in a minute, but... But, but let's look at the dreams first of all. In verse number 5 it says, Now Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. They hated him before they really hated him after he told them the dream. So he said to them, Please hear the dream which I have dreamed. Now that, that was Joseph's mistake. God gave him a dream. Now God knew what he was going to do. And I actually I think God wanted him to do it. But it still was a mistake. God knew he would make a mistake. What should he have done? If God gives you a dream, what should you do with that dream? You keep it to yourself. You keep it to yourself. You know, that's why a lot of us don't get dreams, because we want to boast about our dreams. And that gets us into trouble. That says, look at me, I'm not only uh, Jacob's favorite, I'm God's favorite. And, and so when we boast about our dreams, it's the wrong thing. Now, there's some time when God's going to give you a dream about somebody else that, that maybe gives you a word of knowledge that you need to tell them, and you need to tell them that dream. But to publicly advertise your dream is nothing more than pride, and that's what Joseph was doing here. Now, Joseph had a dream and told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. So he said to them, please hear this dream which I dream." We don't want to hear that. Well, I'm going to tell you anyway. There, there we were. Binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And indeed, your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. Now, it doesn't take a prophet to figure out the interpretation of that dream. Joseph was saying, you guys are going to bow down to me whether you want to or not. That's my dream. And uh, so it really what it, the dream does, it simply reinforces the fact that he has authority over them. And they didn't like the idea that he has authority over him. And so his brother said to him at verse number 8, Shall you indeed reign over us? It ain't going to happen. Or shall you indeed have dominion on us, over us? We don't think so. So they hated him and, and even more for his dreams and his words. Now, I have no doubt at this point. That Joseph goes to Jacob. He says, Dad, I had a dream. And you're not going to believe my dream. Well, go tell me, son, what was it? He said, I, 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 there was 12 sheaves. I was one sheaf, and I stood up, and the other 11 sheaves stood up, and 11 of those sheaves bowed down to me. And he said, what was it, Dad? You thinking, you're thinking the same way I am? Dad said, sure. You have authority over your brothers, the authority that I've given you. That's, you know, I mean, and if they don't like it, They can lump it because I'm the one who owns all of these flocks. I'm the one who owns all of this stuff. And so I'm the one who determines who's going to bow down and who's not going to bow down. So so they're just going to have to like it. But here's the problem. Joseph had another dream. 
And let's look at that dream. Then he dreamed still another dream in verse number 9 and told it to his brothers and said, Look, I have dreamed another dream. And this time, the sun and the moon, which, again, you don't have to be a prophet to interpret that. That's the dad and the mom. The sun and the moon and the 11 stars bowed down to me. So he told it to his father and his brother. And this time, Jacob didn't like the dream so much because it involved him bowing down to Joseph. And so he says to Joseph, hey, man, have you lost your mind? Me and your mom, your stepmom, Leah, we're not going to bow down to you. You 17-year-old kid, this is my stuff. This isn't your stuff. You work for me. I don't work for you. No, Dad, the dream says you're going to bow down to me too. Guess what? He's, they are going to bow down to him. The whole world is going to bow down to Joseph before this thing is over. That's how important he's going to become. That's what God is working out in all of these things that are happening right here. So he, he told his father and his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother, and I really think he's speaking, some people would say this happened before Rachel died. I don't think so at all. I think you're in Hebron here at this point, and he's speaking of Leah, uh, and she's now his stepmother. He said, Shall your mother and I and your brothers uh, indeed come to bow down to the earth before you, it ain't going to happen. But it, you want to bet? It is going to happen. And here's was the net result of it. And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. He kept his peace and he didn't say anything about it. That's not the first time Jacob did that. You remember when his sons had massacred the people in Shechem and killed all those people, and he told them, man, this is really bad what you did, and they said, hey, can we going to let this guy rape our daughter, I mean our sister, and get away with this? And then he kept the matter in his heart. He didn't argue with them. He didn't tell them they were wrong. He didn't sit them down. He didn't put them in time out. He didn't do anything. He just let them get away with it. And then we saw that story last week, another example where, where Reuben was, was having sexual relationships with his, with his wife, with his, his, his concubine or his wife, Billa, and he just kept it in his heart. He heard about it and did nothing about it. That's the way he handled his discipline in his life. I, 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 that's not the way you discipline children. If you discipline children by letting your children do what they want, you don't love those children. You might have eros love for those children, phileo love, but you don't have agape love. Because when your children are doing something wrong and you don't punish them for what they're doing wrong, you're saying to that child, I don't love you. You have to discipline your children. It's a lot easier not to. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it hurts me. It, when I, I don't have to do it anymore much. No, I'll tell you that. I still can if I have to. Let me put it that way. But when I, when I had to discipline my children, we, we were talking about an incident the other day where, where we went into Kentucky Fried Chicken and and they had some kind of special on, and I love specials. Those of you know me know I love specials. And they had some kind of special. And Eli loved those little popcorn Kentucky Fried Chicken things that they made. And I said, you're not getting that. I said, I'm getting the special, and we're all going to share the special. We were in seminary. We didn't have much money. We couldn't get everything everybody wanted. And he said, well, then I'm not going to eat. I said, well, then you're not going to eat. And I can remember eating and weeping inside because he wasn't eating. And he didn't eat. I think we were driving to my parents' house, which was like a five-hour trip. He didn't eat till we got there. He was pretty stubborn. He gets up from his mom. She's not in here. So I can say that. She's not in here. Don't worry. Y'all don't go tell her that. But I remember how much that hurt me to do that to my son. For five hours, I heard it didn't hurt him. He was mad. But it hurt me to do that. 
And, 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 that, and, and Jacob didn't want that hurt. And so he just lets these sons do what they want to do. Now, here they are, and there's about to be an explosion take place here. And he's not willing to do anything about it. He should have brought them in and said, he said, this is why Joseph has authority over you. And he's going to have authority over you. Well, the reason he couldn't do that, because he didn't have a good reason. See, really, his reasoning was wrong. And so he couldn't confront them on this thing. He was a bad parent all the way around. I mean, it's amazing that God saved Jacob based upon some of the things we've seen that he's done in his life and is going to do. But God's going to get him to a place where he's a, a true patriarch before all of this is over. So, anyway, they wind up hating. It says in the last verse, and his brothers envied him and hated it. It's the extreme form of hate. But his father just kept the matter in his mind. Now, here's what I want to, you know, as we finish up here, here's what I want to explore, the subject I want to explore here for just a second. Uh, We know that these dreams came from God. We know that because we know the rest of the story. And they come true in such a spectacular way that it had to be God that gave Joseph these dreams. Well, the question is, if these dreams were going to cause so much turmoil in the life of Jacob and his family, why would God give Joseph these dreams? And and let me propose to you just a few reasons why. The one one reason why is Joseph's going to need these dreams in the future as encouragement because he's about to go through 13 really tough years. The toughest years that probably anybody has ever, as tough as any, anybody's ever spent on this earth. He's about to be thrown uh, into slavery, sold into slavery. He's about to be thrown into prison for something he didn't even do. And I mean, he's going to have a rough time and he's going to need some kind of, when he's down in that dungeon, some kind of encouragement that one day he's going to get out and, and maybe this dream would give him that encouragement because that dream came from God. But that's going to take a lot of faith. And Joseph's going to have to rely on a lot of faith. And I think he, in this process of these 13 years, he's going to become a man of faith. So that's one purpose God had in giving him these dreams. The other purpose or another purpose that God had in giving, and this is kind of a strange purpose, and I want you to see this because God works in strange ways. God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And, and, and so... I think God gave him these dreams so that his brothers would hate him even more. He knew Joseph was going to tell him. He knew it was the wrong thing to do. But he knew Joseph was going to do that. And they're going to wind up hating Joseph even more than they hated him before. Why does God want him to hate Joseph? You know why he wants them to hate Joseph? So they'll sell Joseph into slavery. Well, God, why do you want Joseph to be sold in slavery? Well, you want him to be sold in slavery so he could go be a slave at Potiphar's house. Why in the world, Lord, would you want him to be sold as a slave into Potiphar's house? Well, I want him to be sold as a slave into Potiphar's house because Potiphar's wife is going to falsely accuse him of rape and he's going to get thrown into prison. Well, Lord, wait a minute. Why do you want him thrown into prison? Well, I want him thrown into prison because he's going to meet the the baker and the cupbearer. And for two years, he's going to wait on one of them. To, he's going to interpret their dreams, and he's going to wait for one of them to get him out, of, help get him out of prison. And sure enough, after two years, the cupbearer is going to, going to tell the pharaoh, who's got some wild dream that he can't interpret, that well, I know a man who can interpret your dream. And so he gets him out of prison, and the reason he let his brothers hate him so much is so that he could save his brothers. You see the picture there? You see the type there? You wonder why God would let the Jews hate Jesus so much so that he could save his brothers. The only way they could be saved. So that he could save you and me. And, 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 and so all, all everything 
God is so brilliant. He has all wisdom. And he lacks no wisdom. He knows everything that's ever going to happen and how it's going to happen. And so here's something. It seems like something terrible he's doing. He's given these dreams to Joseph, knowing that Joseph, that goofball, is going to go tell those dreams to his brothers. And his brothers are going to hate him even more. And what's going to happen? Joseph is going to be raised to the second position in all of Egypt. And because he's in that position, he's going to save his brothers, the very brothers that hated him. There's a third reason that I think God gave Joseph these dreams. And that's to save Joseph himself. I mean, to change his mindset from that of a settler and a squatter to that of a stranger living in a foreign land. Now, you've got to look at Joseph's life at this point. He was, he was on top of the world. I mean, he, was, he had settled into the world. He was 17 years old. He had authority over his brothers. He was chief shepherd, chief steward over everything his dad owned. I mean, God loved him. God was giving him dreams and, and, and ratifying his position. And so Joseph had become a very proud, a very arrogant, a very worldly young man. And God wasn't going to let him stay that way. God wanted him to be a stranger in a foreign land. And so he uses his brother's hatred to send him to a foreign land, to get him out of that settlement he's in to take him to the land of Egypt and then put him in the woodshed, the woodshed of the prison and the, uh, and the woodshed of slavery. And here's what's really interesting. When Joseph is finally promoted to second in all of Egypt, he builds a palace. He marries uh, the daughter of a high priest. He has two sons. I mean, you would think that he's settled down in Egypt, but he doesn't settle down. See, because Joseph has been brought uh, a long ways in his walk with God, in his pilgrimage. And now he doesn't see this earth, not even beautiful Egypt. He doesn't see that as his home. He sees heaven as his home. So much so that we're told in the last chapter of Genesis that as he's dying, he tells his son, take my bones to the promised land. Why does he want his bones in the promised land? He wants his bones where that new Jerusalem is going to come down, where that heavenly city is going to come down, because that he saw as his home, not Egypt and not even the Hebron. He saw heaven as his home. So, so Joseph, through this hatred of his brothers, is weaned off of this world. God uses all those circumstances to wean him off that, this world, just like he's going to do for Jacob. Jacob's going to go through some tough times when he thinks he's lost uh, Joseph and then later on maybe Benjamin. He's going to go through some really tough times. And then he's going to end up dying in a foreign land in Egypt, buried at Machpelah, but, but uh, living in a foreign land. But, but even now, as if he had gone back, to, and that's what we're told in the book of Hebrews. If he had gone back to the promised land, he still would have saw that as a foreign land. Because at the end of his life, God had changed his mindset. He had changed the mindset of Joseph and Jacob. And uh, they no longer saw themselves as squatters and settlers, but as pilgrims and strangers in a foreign land. And I'm going to tell you right now, God is going to do that for you. He's doing that for me right now. If you're truly a child of God, he's going to change your mindset. I watched my, what happened to my dad in the latter years of his life and what's really happening in my life right now. I mean, my dad was a a Air Force uh, career man. Uh, So our whole life, we, really had, we didn't have much problem with this settling down thing. We were always pilgrims and foreigners in a strange land. 
I mean, I've lived in Lafayette 15 years. I'm 70 years old. And that's the longest place. I've, Lafayette's the longest place I've ever lived in my life. And, and so, so it, it just wasn't much of a problem for us growing up. But when my dad retired, he seemed to want to settle down. And he bought a home in, in Hoover, Alabama, a really nice home. Uh, he had a good retirement plan. He, he actually retired from, two, from the post office and the Air Force. Uh, he had a lot of money in the bank. I mean, uh, he, he settled down to a pretty good life. And, and God didn't let him stay that way. You could watch over the years. God gave my dad just enough trouble, just enough wisdom and skills and observation to see that this place was not his home. In his late 80s, my mom's dementia got really bad, and he had to sell his home, a really large home, a 5,000-square-foot home, just full of stuff. I mean, they had traveled all over the world uh, in the Air Force, and everywhere they had gone, they'd gone with an empty uh, container and come back with a full container. And they'd bought all sorts of beautiful antiques from all over the world. I mean, their house was just absolutely gorgeous. And it, it, it was full of stuff. But when my mom got this dimension, they had to move in this retirement home. They had to get rid of every bit of that stuff. They didn't have any room for any of it. I mean, I think he kept one grandfather. I mean, he had a grandfather clock in every room in the house, and he kept one grandfather clock and a, and a little dinette set and a couch and, and a, a couple of bedroom suits. And that's all he kept. He went from 5,000 square feet to about 800 square feet. And he, it, 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 but I remember him telling me, he said, you know what? I've come to the place in my life where this stuff doesn't mean anything to me. It didn't bother me one bit to give it up. Now, my mom had dementia, which was a good thing in a way, because I think it would have bothered her to give it up because she loved that stuff. But it didn't bother my dad because that wasn't his treasure anymore. He said his treasure was his family and his relationship with the Lord. And shortly before he died, he told me, he said, George, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. This world is not my home. I long for a heavenly home, a much greater home than this. And I, I just watched that transformation of my dad over those last years, and that's really encouraged me now. As I'm starting to face some of the same things at my age, I look at this world that we're in, and, 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 and it's real easy now for me to long for a heavenly home. I mean, you start losing some of your hair and your teeth and, and uh, uh, your health, and, and, and people disappoint you. I mean, i I, I got to tell you, People do things you just can't imagine anymore what people do. The evil in this world, the accepted evil in this world. I mean, you can't watch the news. I mean, this coronavirus is is, is nothing compared to what's happening morally in our country right now. It's just terrible. I mean, if you watch the news, you might turn on Fox News, but they're just about as bad as the other ones. I was watching Fox News the other night, and, and they, had, they had Pete Buttigieg's husband, his brother-in-law, who is a pastor on Laura Ingram. I don't know if you saw it or not, but she was raking him over the coals because he didn't accept that lifestyle that he somehow became the, he came on there thinking he was going to give his case of why he didn't accept it and why they still love this guy. But she told him, you need to apologize and you need to reconcile with him and you need to accept his lifestyle. That's Laura Ingram. I mean, I mean, being a libertarian and a conservative doesn't make you a Christian. I can tell you that right now. I, I've seen things happen in the last few years. I mean, I had a pastor friend of mine. He, he had a lady living with him and his wife, and they, he killed her and buried her in his backyard. 
guy's pastor of a church of a thousand people, people getting saved every week. I mean, what's this world coming to? And you see all of these things and 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 you look at this wicked society. I mean, every time I hear Adam Schiff or Nancy Pelosi or Bernie Sanders speak, man, I say, Lord, get me out of here. Get me out of here. Can you imagine one of those people take over this country? If Bernie Sanders takes over this country, what we're going to be facing? Now, you know what? I like, I've got some good things going on here. I've got a nice home. I've got a great family. I've got a great church family. And, and I'm like Paul. I mean, I, there's reasons to stay here, you know, for the sake of my family, the sake of my friends. For, for, but, but to be with Christ is far better. And I don't know if you've come to that point yet in your life. Some of you younger people, you probably haven't. You probably say, man, this is life is just so great. Well, it's going to wake you up before it's over with. And God's going to send you some troubles along your way. They're going to, they're going to wean you off of this world to where you're going to long for a foreign land too. Look, if you don't care anything about heaven other than somewhere to go if you die, if you don't long to see Jesus Christ, I have to question if you're even saved. Because Paul puts it like this, and he gives it one of the criteria for salvation kind of subtly over in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. So listen to what he says. Finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. He's talking about heavenly, eternal life, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not only to me, but to all those who have longed for his appearing. That tells me if you don't long for his appearing, you're not going to get that crown of righteousness. It's given to those who long for his appearing. Well, don't worry about it. If you don't, aren't longing for it too hard right now, you will be before it's all over. Because God loves you. And he wants us to hang on to this world really loosely and to set our minds on things above and not on the things of this earth. And if you're a child of God, that's going to happen in your life at some point. I promise you. He's going to bring you to that point. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll do the Lord's Supper. Father, we just thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you that you love us so much, Lord, that you won't leave us as settlers and squatters in this, in this foreign land. But, Lord, you'll leave us as pilgrims. You will lead us to be pilgrims and strangers in a foreign land. Lord, that you'll teach us to long for the things in heaven and not the things of this earth. Lord, that you'll teach us not to love this world but to love you. Lord, it's a process that we're all going through. And, Lord, you're going to wean us off of this world. And, Lord, when we finally get off of it, and we could do that right now, Lord. Lord, we all can make that choice to just, 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 just set our mind on things above. And we can experience the glories of heaven right now. Lord, it's probably not going to happen for most of us. It's going to take some trials and tribulations to get us there. But, Lord, when you do get us there, it is so wonderful. It is so wonderful, Lord, even now in this time we have on earth to be in your presence and, and to, to taste of your glory. Lord, I just can't imagine how wonderful it's going to be when, when we truly stand face to face with you, Lord, and, and we see those nail-scarred hands and, and we worship you in your presence forever and ever and ever and ever. What a glorious day that will be, Lord. And I don't know about everybody else in here, but I certainly long for that day. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
treatise on the observance of the Lord's Supper he says he quotes Jesus and he says this do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me and then Paul says for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death Now watch this, till he comes. We do this till he comes. Why do we do this till he comes? Because right now we are strangers in a foreign land. But one day soon, he's going to come. And when he comes, he's going to take us to heaven to be with him. And I believe when we're in heaven with him, we are going to observe the Lord's Supper, but not in remembrance of him because he will be right there. I believe he's right here right now with us. We don't see him, so we have to remember him. But that day will come when he will be right there. And we will see those nail-scarred hands and those nail-scarred feet. And we will feel his glory. And we will shout glory to the Lamb. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I long for that day. Paul says, I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you. That on the same night in which Jesus, in which Jesus was betrayed, When he had given thanks, he broke the bread and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, You proclaim the Lord's death. Till when? Till he comes. Let's close in a song.
everything that everything that everything that has breath praise the lord everything that everything that everything that has breath praise the Praise you in the morning, praise you in the evening, praise you when I'm young and when I'm old. Praise you when I'm laughing, praise you when I'm grieving, praise you every season of the soul. We could see how much you're worth, your power, your might, your endless love, and surely we would never cease to Everything that, everything that, everything that has breath, praise the Lord. Everything that, everything that, everything that has breath, praise the Lord. Y'all have a great day.